It is December. It's December 4th. That means uh, we are jumping into the Christmas season. Again, trigger warning. Um, but are you feeling it yet? You're feeling the joy? Feeling the merriment? The stress? You know, whatever it is, are you you're feeling like you're, you're there in that moment? For some of you, you know, like this is just... It's a winter wonderland. This is your best time of year, you know. You got to, like, March of, of earlier this year, and you're just like, why, why even bother with the rest of the year? Christmas is all that matters. December is the best. So you're excited. Um, you're loving the time with family. You love the decorations. Um, you know, you love all this stuff. And you think, oh, this, this snow. Oh, it's so, so lovely. Snow, it just feels like Christmas. And then for, there's the rest of you you know, who look at the snow and start to sweat, which is strange since it's cold, you know, it's stressing you out. You're thinking about the presents and the parties and all the planning. And yeah, a lot of people feel a lot of things at Christmas and however you feel about it, welcome. I'm glad you're here. (laughs) And however you feel about it, I just want to to invite you um, to just kind of like slow down and to reflect a little bit, because whether you're excited or whether you're dreading this season or somewhere in between, um, it is a time for us, I think, uh, to, to enter into and think through the reason for the season, <laughs> the story of, of Jesus' birth, his, his incarnation, uh, to think about what that might mean. Because it is, it is, it is easy to, uh, either from busyness or from just like, just like celebrating the social sides of Christmas, to, to just forget about what we're really celebrating here. And so what I'd like to do this morning in the next couple weeks leading up into Christmas is just take some time to reflect on Jesus and on what we celebrate here, his birth. Um, we're calling this Christmas series Awaited King. That's because I think that is exactly what Jesus is. He is the, was the, remains the awaited king. He remains uh, a king, and he is worth celebrating, worth waiting for. So um, let's pray, and then we'll jump, we'll jump into this. Um, Lord, I thank you. And we just, just yeah, God, we just want to pray, you know, sit before you, meet with you, set our hearts before you, Lord. We thank you that in the busyness and in the, the, the worries of this, this season or whatever, Lord, we can just um, hope in something better, something greater, Lord, in your presence, in your work, in your kingdom, God. We turn to you, Lord. We ask you to teach us how to do that, how to bring our hearts before you, how to enter into this season and uh, get our eyes fixed upon you, Jesus, what you've done, your goodness, your grace, your work, your mercy. So, Lord, just come here. We, we welcome you as king in this place. Whatever that could mean, Lord, whatever that could mean, whatever that might mean, we want to uh, live in that place where we are living in your kingdom, uh, seeking your face above all things. So, Lord, be here among us, we pray. Amen. Jesus was awaited. He was, he was truly awaited. And, like, you know, every newborn baby is awaited. Some of you have some very real live experience with that right now. You're, you're awaiting a baby to be born. Many of you have done that. You've been in that season where, where you're, you're, you're pregnant and, and, and coming, uh, have, having a baby, um, and it's an exciting thing, and you're just like waiting for a moment, the arrival of this new person. Um, and, and Jesus was awaited. He certainly was awaited by Mary and Joseph, right? Um, 
going to say Jesus' parents, but we know there's a, like some caveats in there. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, but Mary and Joseph had a, a reason to wait. They were, they were waiting for this, this child that Mary was going to deliver. But we know, as we have an awareness of the Christmas story, and if you, if you don't, great. Let me, let me explain it to you. We know that Jesus was not just any child. He wasn't just any baby coming into the world. Um, he was a, a particularly special child. And yeah, every, every baby's special, sure. Yes, they are. They're, you're special. Your babies are special, right? But Jesus was special, right? Um, he was very special. And, and Mary knew that this Jesus, this baby who, was, who she was, was going to give birth to, was particularly special because an angel told her so. So like she really knew. Um, we, we read about this in the, in the book of Luke, first, first chapter of the book of Luke. It says, in the, six months, the, uh, uh, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting it could be. And then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. That's a pretty special baby. There's some big promises uh, made by this angel about, about who this baby was going to be, who this baby that Mary was, 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 was going to um, birth, right? Birth without a father, birth without Joseph's involvement because she was still um, not yet married, right? But, but God was doing something, bringing forth this person, Jesus, and he was a very special person. Jesus was going to be called, according to this angel, the son of the most high, he was going to be, according to this angel, given the throne of his father, David. And he would rule over a kingdom that would have no end. This was a special child. Because Jesus was, at least according to the scriptures, right? According to what the Bible claims about Jesus, he was the awaited king. The awaited king. The king that Israel, right? Mary was, was a Jew, ancient Jew. The king, of, the king that Israel, God's people, had been waiting for for thousands of years. Mary's told that this is your baby. He is going to be the king, the one you've been waiting for. He's going to be the priest promised to Abraham, the father of the Jews. He's going to be the prophet promised to Moses and the Israelites. He's going to be the king promised to David, the one that would sit on David's throne. And he's going to be the one by whom and in whom all the promises of God, the promises that the Israelites had been awaiting to see fulfilled, were going to be delivered in this person, Jesus. And Mary understands what's being said. Like this, this kind of language, sit on the throne of David, like doesn't mean a lot to us. But she, in her context, she knew exactly what, she was, what was being told. And that's that this Jesus was going to be the one, the deliverer. And she like reflects on this, and we have this prayer that's commonly called the Magnificat, if you're, you know, speaking Latin like you do, um, right? And she has this prayer, and this is a little bit of it, this prayer that she prays, this song of Mary that she prays, uh, Luke 1.50, she says, His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He's done a mighty deed with his arm. He's scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their heart. 
He's toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. See, see the significance of Jesus' birth is not lost on Mary. She understands that what God is doing by sending this baby is making good on all these promises that he has made to Israel and to the whole world. That his, in Jesus, his mercy from generation to generation is going to be embodied. That in Jesus, the mighty will be toppled, the lowly lifted up. In Jesus, the hungry will be filled with good things. All these promises to make the world right God gave it to, to the Israelites, and they've been waiting for to see. Mary understands, now it's coming to pass in this child, Jesus. He was awaited, and he was going to break and reorder all the disorder. He's going to set right all the oppression. He was going to, uh, going to break the, the pride and the shame and the sin that had come into the world and that God's people were just stuck in the middle of. God was going to deliver his people through sending his son, Jesus. Jesus was the one that they had been hoping in. He was the awaited one. And the remarkable thing about Jesus, and this is like, if you read the book of Luke, like if you just sit it and read it like, like a book, like you didn't already know the ending, you can kind of see some of the, the literary aspects. Allow me to bore you. <laughs> Allow me to bore you. Remember, this is what I do. I like to bore people. Um, there's some of the literary aspects like come out about, about, about the way that Jesus was received. Like, like the remarkable thing about Jesus is though he, he is all of these things, like he, he embodies all of these things. He was and is the one who is going to set things right and, and reverse the, the, the curse of sin. He was the one who Israel was waiting for. He was awaited. But what we find in the book of Luke and in, in, in the rest of the gospels, he was awaited but not expected. They were awaiting these promises of God, but they didn't expect it to look like this. They didn't expect it to look like Jesus. In fact, as you follow Jesus' life through the Gospels, particularly in the book of Luke, he spends a ton of time dealing with these wrong expectations. Understanding that he is the one that they are awaiting, but not the one who's meeting their expectations. That is, the religious Jews who are waiting for him. And we see this, especially through the book of Luke, um, like I said, repeatedly, Jesus is asked the question, right? It's the nagging question in the book of Luke, when is the kingdom coming? When is the kingdom going to be here, Jesus? Because, like, we are awaiting this kingdom. When is it going to be here? They understood, right, the, the Jews, the religious Jews, the people to whom Jesus was talking to and, and, and ministering to, they understood that Jesus was making some claims, claims to be this awaited king, this one sent by God. He, he was basically communicating that throughout, and they, they were hoping that he might be the one, but they looked at him, and it didn't quite square up. They noticed that he was lacking some of these, these awaited qualities of a king. No crown, no great shiny crown. Mm, that's, that's one mark against you, Jesus. We're awaiting somebody, but we don't expect him to look quite like you. Doesn't have a throne. 
isn't, isn't like arrayed in glory, he isn't, isn't coming in all powerful, especially this problem, doesn't have an army. King's got to have an army. What's a king without an army? Doesn't have a way to set things right. We would expect that a king who's going to do all these things and deliver on all these promises has got to look a certain thing. They're still waiting for someone. They don't expect them to look like this Jesus. Doesn't have this treasury. He isn't particularly strong. He hasn't risen to the top of the political structures of the day. He isn't the most educated. He isn't the most powerful. He's not from the best family. To put it plainly, to a people awaiting their king, Jesus was a disappointment, let down of their expectations. And so, so throughout the book of Luke and, and the rest of the Gospels, they're always just kind of poking at this, like, uh, you seem to be kind of important, but kind of disappointing. We've seen an example of that in Luke 17, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. Again, this nagging question, when's it going to be here? Because like, eh, you're not quite matching our expectations Jesus answered them, he said, the kingdom of God is not coming with something observable. Very disappointing. (laughs) No one will say, see here or there, for you see the kingdom of God is in your midst. So the Pharisees wanted to know when. These people who were awaiting this king wanted to know when this king and this kingdom was coming. But it was really clear to the Pharisees, uh, it was really clear that the the kingdom that the Pharisees were, were expecting was not like the kingdom that Jesus was talking about. Because he's talking about something that does not look like what they think. Instead of of a kingdom with a powerful king and and with an empire and an army and with parades and taxes and all the things that come along with kingdoms that we know are just have to be a part of kingdoms and the fact that you can be proud and strong, Jesus seemed to have a different kind of kingdom in mind. The Pharisees kept asking, when will this kingdom happen? But Jesus says, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Or in other words, it's right here. It's right now. Obviously, this was not what they expected. And we, we see this kind of disappointment play out through, through Jesus' ministry to the point where they finally end up deciding to kill him because he wasn't the king they were awaiting, not the one they were expecting. Jesus keeps it up throughout his ministry. He keeps disappointing them and explaining to them that the kingdom that he's bringing about, the king of which he is, uh, the kingdom of which he is the king, it looks differently. He, he does this another time in Luke 13, 20 through 20, 21. He says, what can I compare the kingdom of God to? He's trying to explain an analogy to these very confused people. And he says this, it's like leaven that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until it was all leavened. And if you're not a baker, we watch Great British Baking Show, so I'm an expert. Um, it's, yeah, thank you. <laughs> I, um, it's, like, it's like a woman who takes like a little bit of yeast, right? They didn't have, you know, ready powdered yeast like we have now, right? You'd, ha- you'd have to take some little lump of bread that was already yeasted, already had leaven in it. And then you'd mix up your dough without leaven, and then you'd put the yeast, little ball of yeast in there, a little, and then slowly and surely, that yeast would grow, because it's gross, 
it's a living thing that permeates. That's just disgusting, if you ask me. But anyways, it would go slowly and spread its way throughout all of the bread. And, and see, God's people had been awaiting for a king. And more to the point, they had been waiting for a when, a very decisive event, which was going to be awesome. It was going to be the coming of a king with an army and setting up a kingdom. And they had been awaiting a dramatic and noticeable turning of the tide where finally judgment was going to come upon Rome. And finally, they were going to be put in the, the, the seat of power. And they had a very specific list of all the great things that were going to happen. They were going to see the Romans just finally kicked out of Jerusalem, sent out in shame. They were going to see the armies of Jerusalem rise up and go and chase Rome all the way to Rome. Put them away. Lay siege to their cities just like they had done to them. Put their enemies down. Kill them. They were waiting for something decisive, a when, something to happen. But this kingdom that Jesus was talking about was a lot different. The kingdom that was in their midst, even as Pontius Pilate still sat in Jerusalem and ruled over Rome, and even as Herod, this half-Jewish puppet king of Rome, was calling himself king of the Jews... That kingdom was in their midst. The kingdom that spread without this direct confrontation, that didn't seem like it had a when. It didn't seem like it had like this, this, this overcoming way. They, they, they thought there is no way that this could be it. Like, like this kind of slow permeating of the kingdom throughout the whole place. That doesn't seem like it could be what it is. Jesus was not what it, they expected. His kingdom was not like what they had hoped for in a king. But Jesus made it clear is that, yeah, I am disappointing your expectations, but I am the king you're awaiting. I am the king that is going to make up all those promises. I don't have a when. I have a who. I am the king. The kingdom is here as I am here. Jesus was a very special child. He was the awaited king. And I think it's worth asking the question, for us now, even, even, even contemplating you know, 2,000 years on, what sort of kingdom was Jesus establishing? Right? Because it was not, it was a letdown to the Jews. It was not the kind of kingdom that they expected. Or at least it wasn't yet. For now, the way uh, that, that Jesus would be king and the way that the kingdom was going to come is something that no one would expect. And I, I you know, I don't want to, this is not an eschatology sermon, as in I'm not talking about when Jesus comes back, because there will be a time when Jesus comes back and the kingdom will be really present, and he really will be this sort of king that was expected. But we sort of live in this in-between time where Jesus says the kingdom is here now in your midst, but it doesn't look the way people expect it. So what, is, what does it look like now to be kingdom people? What does it look like now to follow Jesus as king? Because Jesus has set out to establish a kingdom, but instead of the king coming, being crowned, going, making war, judging the nations immediately, Jesus has come in a way that was just so hard for everyone to understand. He has come to actually save and make peace with his enemies. 
He's come to save people who are against him. He was born to bring the kingdom. He was crowned king, and he was and is seated on a throne. But his kingdom is not the kingdom that they expected. It's not the kingdom I think that we oftentimes expect. It is a kingdom of grace and of reconciliation. Jesus, right now, is the king who is making peace with the world. His crown is a crown of thorns placed on his head that was to shame him and to show him that the power of Rome and the power of these religious leaders was over him, and he took it willingly, and he says, yeah, this is my crown because I am coming as a king who cares about his enemy, who will die for their sake, so that they might be forgiven, I will die and I will take on this crown. He is a king, but he is a ki- over a kingdom of grace. And his throne, where he ascended to, he was raised up on a cross so that everyone could see. And he had this, this sign hanging over him that he was the king of the Jews. And he truly sat up there. And by doing this, God has raised him up above every kingdom and every name. He has become... Through coming and dying, he has truly established a kingdom, and it is not the kingdom that we might expect. It is a kingdom that is open. It is a kingdom of grace. It is a kingdom of power, but not dominating. A kingdom of of force, but not violence. A kingdom that will not be shaken, but not because of the weapons. Jesus came for a purpose. He established, he did establish an awaited kingdom, not the kingdom that was expected. Jesus, the king himself, he's come and he is the gift that establishes the kingdom. Jesus is like that ball of yeast, the who, not the when, come into the world and his kingdom spreads throughout simply because he is powerful and gracious. He's raising up the world, not melting it down. He's the kingdom who comes into the world and says, my kingdom is here in your midst, even while his enemies come after him. Jesus doesn't destroy the world as we know it. He comes into it. That's what we recognize at Christmas. He is present with it. He befriends the very people who set out to kill him, who are rebelling against him, and he welcomes them into his kingdom. And one day this world will be renewed and all the enemies will be conquered. But now, in this moment, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of grace where God is making peace, where the who is the king who's come, suffering as a servant to forgive and to welcome people in. Now, that is truly unexpected. I like how Jamie Smith, he's a philosopher, says this. He says, grace... That is what Jesus is doing, his gift to the world, his establishing kingdom. It is not a reset button. That's what the Jews wanted, a reset button. Get rid of the world, throw them out. Grace is something even more unbelievable. It is restoration. It is reconciliation of and despite our histories of animosity. Grace isn't an undoing, it's an overcoming. 
if you take anything home with that, take that little last phrase there. Grace isn't an undoing, it's an overcoming. See, those who were awaiting the king wanted the king to undo their problems, undo their enemies, undo the difficulty through violence. But God has decided that in his kingdom, in the kingdom that he is building and establishing, things will be different. Jesus hasn't decided to just play on one side of the team, right? To join Israel in destroying Rome. Jesus sees that Israel and Rome, and both those who think of themselves as righteous and those who think of themselves as sinners, he's saying to both of them, they have a place in this kingdom. He's not just joining up with one side. He's bringing something new. Jesus is playing a whole different game than all the other kingdoms of the world. He's not on a rampage. Jesus is on a mercy mission. He's not destroying the world, undoing it. He's redeeming it. You, we cannot forget this. It's really easy to forget. Jesus died to redeem the world. Jesus is building a kingdom, not by ripping up the old, not by like, like confronting and destroying and killing his enemies, but by coming into the world and renewing it. 2 Corinthians 5.17, I'm, I'm sure you know it if, you, if you're familiar with the Bible. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Jesus is bringing renewal, not by wiping out the world, but coming into it and by his presence, by establishing his kingdom, by being the king, he's renewing. He's renewing people. He's, the old is passing away. It's not being wiped out. It's just being, it's just not powerful anymore. Wherever he is, anyone who comes into his kingdom is this new creation. He's remaking the world. And it's, it's just like so contrary, right? There's, I mean, there's, there's a very intentional contrarian nature to what Jesus is saying. He's making it clear that his kingdom is not the kingdom that is going to advance by laying like siege to the walls of the other empires and all the enemies of Israel. See, that's not how I'm going to go conquer the world. What Jesus is saying, I'm going to conquer the world by opening the gates of the kingdom so that even my enemies can come right in and become citizens of this new place. And Jesus says, because I'm totally secure in my power. I'm not worried about Rome. I'm actually going to forgive them. I'm going to ask them to turn from their enmity from me. I'm just going to welcome them in. The nature of the kingdom that Jesus is establishing is so different. He's not wiping out the old. He's inviting the, what, what is the, the world that is in rebellion against him to be made new in his kingdom. And I think it's worth thinking about for a moment what that might mean for you personally or, or the people around you in our day because, of course, Rome has long since passed away. Well, we visit the museums. I think we have to understand what Jesus is up to, right? He's not taking the world by force. He's not breaking it down. He's not wiping it away. He's actually dying on our behalf. He's forgiving our rebellion and inviting us into this new life in his kingdom. Because he does not, he, he, he desires not to break us down, but to make us new and to make this world 
and us in it, new with him. Um, and I, I think that, like, that's like a very different thing. Like, think about how that works in your own life. Think about, like, maybe, maybe you've, you've already come to Jesus, right? And what was it? Like, like we repent, right? We do this thing, right? This is how, how you, you come to Jesus. You put faith in him. You recognize he is the king. He's the one he claimed to be. He's, he's the one who has all these promises, and then we repent, that is, we like turn from our old way of understanding where we were just like against him, but now suddenly we see, yeah, yeah, I want to be a part of this new kingdom. And I want to live a life consistent with this kingdom that Jesus is establishing. That's all repentance is. It's not some big, I don't know, moral backflip. It's just a simple understanding of, no, yeah, that old way, that sucked. And this is much better. I'm going to embrace Jesus. I'm going to embrace his way. I'm going to let him be the authority. I'm going to let him be the king, the king who welcomes me in and makes peace with me, right? So like, so like, I think a lot of us come to Jesus and, and we think, okay, I'm a new creation, so I'm just going to like, like just not be the person I was. Like we, we think that what Jesus is doing is like killing our old self and making us a new person. And then we're really frustrated, we get really frustrated when as we step into this kingdom, as, as we start to trust Jesus, it feels like the old guy is still alive. And like his, his, his or her past right? And their hang-ups, and, and their traumas, and, and their character failures. Like, this is, like, still alive in the kingdom. Like, I thought I was a new creation. All things are being made new. Like, like isn't the old stuff supposed to be just smashed and, you know, burned up and just, just gone entirely? And, and to a degree, like, that, that is some of the imagery that we see, like, where we were dying to our old selves. But this is, it, it, it's done a little bit differently than we might think. James, James Smith, again, uh, says this. He says, this is important. The new creation is a resurrection, not a reset. We know because of the scars. Just as the resurrected Christ bears the marks of his wounds, his history with the Roman Empire, so the new self in Christ is the resurrection of the self with a past. The I is saved only if this me with this bodily history rises to new life. If all that I've lived through is simply erased by grace, then I am lost rather than redeemed. If all that I've become and learned and acquired and experienced was just overwhelmed and made null by grace, then salvation would be an obliteration rather than a redemption. This might seem heady or unimportant, but I really think it's actually pretty important as we start to think about what, what kind of kingdom is, is Jesus establishing and, and how am I living with him as a king? I think we have to understand this. Jesus hasn't just like obliterated my past. He's actually said, I see how you've been away from me. And I'm not the God who's saying, leap up into heaven. I'm the God who say, says, I'm coming down into this broken and messed up world. And I just grab people by the hand with all their, all their pain, all their difficulty, and all, all their hang-ups, and all their weaknesses, right? A lot of times I think we think, well, I'm in the kingdom now, I just need to be stronger. <laughs> but you're not. We think, when? When, God? When, God, will the, the, the chains of sin be broken? But he wasn't coming for a when, he's a who. When we walk with Jesus, when we walk with the king, when we step in understanding his grace and understanding that he's not, 
he's not expecting us, right? He's not expecting us to morally perfect ourselves. Actually, he's expecting us to trust him and walk with him and be close with him and be attentive with him. And he's going to take care of the issues in our hearts, the deep-seated things that we can't understand. Over time, he'll expose them in grace and in kindness. He'll bring light into dark places. He'll, He'll heal our pain and our brokenness over time. In his timing, according to his grace, he'll heal the old stuff that we've carried into the kingdom. And that means that, like, that stuff and the sin and the difficulty, like, I don't need to have shame for it anymore. Because the system isn't broken. Jesus is coming into the world. He's coming into your life. He's coming into you with all your past and all your baggage and all the things and all your doubts. And he just says, yeah, 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 yeah. But the kingdom is in your midst. The system isn't broken. Like, yeah, you've come into this new place. You come into this, this not, a, not a when, but into this re- kingdom that's about a who, a relationship with Jesus. And he's going to do all the work. And it might seem like we're just waiting. And yes, that's okay. Same guy, James Smith, he, he had a little phrase in, in the, the book where I, I had some of these quotes. I really liked it. He says this, hope takes practice. Hope takes practice. I really, I loved that. I was like, yeah, that's really true. Because it's so easy for me to start hoping in this kind of other type of kingdom. One day, Jesus is just going to, man, he's just going to kick me hard enough, and I'm finally going to shape up, you know? One day, all of my, my anger is just going to be obliterated. And, and maybe, yeah, maybe, right, if I try hard enough, if I work hard enough, if I say the right prayers, if I attend church enough, if I give enough, if I do all these things, like we think, okay, there's got to be a when. There's got to be a when, and we live towards the when, but the hope that we have in Jesus is actually just a who. The practice of hope, the things that we need to do, the ways that we grow into this kingdom and let this kingdom like work its way out into every part of our lives is by just really practicing turning to Jesus, going back to him, understanding that he really has opened the gates to the kingdom. And we should just run right inside, leave the old things behind, right? Just like turn to Jesus. Like, don't just like try to dissociate from your old self. Like, understand, come to Jesus and just say, Jesus, how can you heal me in all my brokenness? And just keep doing that. Learn the habits. Practicing hope is about coming to the king. Not just once, but in my whole life, living into his kingdom, living into his presence, becoming a new creation, not because he violently took away my old past, but because he graciously comes into my life and into my heart, and I have this personal relationship with him now. And I'm just committed to coming back to that because hope takes practice. It's pretty short. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Lord, that's not too much for us. It's not too much for us to look to you, Jesus, to look to the finished work, your saving power delivered to us, the kingdom among us that you brought forth on the cross, Lord. You took away sin. You took away shame. You opened the gates to the kingdom, and we're welcome to walk in it. Lord, teach us to practice that hope. Even in this season, Lord, we can get overwhelmed and, uh, you know, 
maybe the stress of family life or the stress of busyness, the stress of snow and school cancellations. Uh, Lord, teach us to practice hope in you, Lord. Teach us to draw near to you, to listen to you, to pray and to have a relationship with you, Lord, to, to, be, to know that we are secure in your grace, God, that you've welcomed us in, that we can stand firmly in that place. Lord, teach us that. Teach us, teach us to hope. Teach us to practice that hope. 